0: Hello, Maxine, today I'm Ryan and Rob. Hi, Maxine here, Ryan and
1: Rob's Welsh translator. The King Rando and Podlidyadne with Fearless in Devotion. You're listening to Fearless in Devotion, a new podcast all about Wrexham AFC. Here they come, our mighty champions. Raise your voices to the anthem,
2: marching like a mighty army Wrexham.
3: Hello, welcome back. After a short break, Fearless in Devotion has returned. We are your podcast dedicated to all things Wrexham AFC, past, present, and future. But before we get started, Liam, if you could eat only one more meal at one more restaurant before you die, which would it be and why? Well, I'm
4: really glad that you've uh, asked me that, Reese, because um, completely unprepared, but um, I've just been thinking about how good the Fat Boar is, that place in Wrexham, which also has a branching mm. mould. Mm, mm. This last week or so, um, so if I ha- it would be that location, mm. and I go for the bang bang chicken to start. A mm. uh, bit of a cliche, I go for a nice burger with cheese and bacon for me main, mm. and the cheesecake of the day. Um, I've had a nice cream egg one from there and an Oreo one, and wash it down with a cherry Long Island
3: iced tea. Oh goodness me, that sounds lovely. And it's funny you should mention that actually, as by a remarkable coincidence, this podcast is sponsored by the Fat Ball Bar and Restaurant. Is it? And I think that something that really sets this spectacular establishment apart from others is the genius and industry of its owner, Rich Watkin. If kids these days had the a tenth of that uh, sort of entrepreneurial spirit, then maybe this country wouldn't be in such a dark place. Anyway, let's move on. We have so much to discuss with two special guests this week. Our podcast last week was cancelled at short notice due to factors and we were scheduled to discuss those awful big spenders, Stockport, signing Scott Quigley. In the following week, we've signed League Two player of the season, Paul Mullin. So, uh, not bad. Tim, what was your immediate reaction? Um, Pretty much the
2: same as most. Wow, really. Um, Without wishing to toot one's horn, we did put a tweet out early July to say that there was whispers about it. Um, as much as I believe the person who told me, he was a bit wishy-washy, so I just thought, oh, maybe maybe there's a little bit in it, but maybe not to the extent it was. So, yeah, I mean, Scott who long forgotten about now, isn't he? It's just, we, we can't ask for any more. We've been crying out for a striker for, God, years and years and years, um, and we've got one. So it's just about providing a service now, get the service right, he's got to be looking at at least 20, 25, isn't he? Um, that's that's the big hope. And, you know, we've got an embarrassment of riches up front now. I don't know what's going to happen with the likes of Ponticelli and so on. Is he is he good enough amongst those others that have come in? I'm not so sure. But it's an option to have, isn't it? But, yeah, delighted with him, delighted.
5: You know, you said you didn't want to ask for any, any more. I want to ask for some more. I, I think we still, we're still crying out for it for a creative midfielder. Oh, God, um, yeah. we talked to a fella, uh, which will be on the pod later, from, from Cambridge. Who saw a lot of mulling and said that a big reason of his success was how good Hulahan was behind him. And if we can get someone of that, you know, maybe not that old, but someone of that, that creativity level, I think we will have a really good season. And I'm sure Parkinson's working on it.
3: Uh, Liam, I think Red Passion went, out to, went into Meltdown, I, I'd imagine, didn't it? You're the Red Passion correspondent.
4: Yeah, I think even by um, red passion standards, everyone was pretty damn happy with that signing. Um, Pretty overwhelmed myself as well. I've I've been keeping the the faith this summer, but I was starting to get a bit, not disheartened with the signings, but there wasn't that really that wow factor there. And I think as marquee signings go, I think Mullin is really the one to go for I've barely seen a bad word said about it anywhere he might be on now be top of the times rich list according to all the accountants on Twitter if you believe them he's earning anywhere up to about 11k uh, a week which is a load of bull but um, worth every penny anyway either way
3: yeah, and I should mention that since the last podcast, we've also signed another proven goalscorer in Jake Hyde and a defender in Harry Lennon, maybe not quite so proven. Before we discuss them, though, let's get a bit more insight into our new star striker by someone who knows him well sports reporter at Cambridgeshire Live, Stephen Page. Andy started off our chat with him by asking if Wrexham fans were right to be as excited about the signing as we clearly are.
1: I think you are right to be excited. Absolutely. I think he'll. He could be an excellent signing for the club. Um, he had an outstanding season for for Cambridge United last season. There's no getting away from that. If you look at the the, the stats that he managed to produce, the the goal scoring record that, that he had, he scored 32 34 goals in all competitions, 32 in the league. He was breaking club records, league records. Um, it was a truly outstanding season from Paul last year, and and one of the key reasons why why the club ended up getting promoted. I'm sure, I speak for all Cambridge United fans, I'm sure they would have wanted Paul to have stayed on in, in League One and, and have a go in League One, but he's opted to, to take the call and go down to the, the National League. And uh, Based on his record last, last season, there's no reason why he can't have another excellent season for, for Wrexham.
5: Did the move surprise you? Because you, you mentioned it there that he's actually dropped down a league when many many expected him to go a bit higher. Was it was it always sorry, so it's two parts really. Was it always set that he would leave Cambridge and then obviously did the club did the club surprise you?
1: So to answer the first one first, uh, I think everyone at Cambridge acknowledged that the fact that he was out of contract at the end of the season and the fact that he'd done so well, the chances of keeping of him were going to be very, very difficult. Um, he'd obviously had a tremendous season for the club, and that was surely going to generate interest off the back of the fact that so many, all clubs well, want, want a goal scorer who can, who can score loads of goals like he did last season. So I think people were re- realised that would be an inevitability. There are a lot of factors that that were going to go against Cambridge in trying to keep him to stay in that he he's obviously Merseyside-based. He was keen to, well, not necessarily keen, but that that seems to have been a factor in his move to to be closer to home. Um, finances, Cambridge can't compete massively with, with clubs. And obviously, the fact that he's joined a project at, at Wrexham with the new owners, uh, I'm sure has played a part in that. Um, And in a way, as a result, I think the move does make sense in in that regard, in that a lot of those factors, when you look at them, the fact he's moved closer to home, so to speak, I'm sure the finances. I mean, Cambridge United head coach Mark Bonner said it was an outstanding contract that he's on. The three-year deal gives him the security to to settle. Um, So, yes, in one regard, dropping to the National League, looks a surprise, but when you weigh up all of the factors, it doesn't seem like a lot of of the factors do weigh up and it makes sense. I mean, it is kind of acknowledged that Paul, when he started out at the end of the season, assessing his moves, um, I'm sure ideally he would have wanted to stay in the Football League. But when you look at the move and weigh it up from Brexton's point of view, everything does add up. For Wrexham, in that regard, that in a way wrexham is is a club that can push back into the football League is ready to get back into the football League. You can correct me on that if, if I'm wrong well, no, it, it very much looks like you've been ready for
5: the last fourteen years
1: absolutely, mate. absolutely <laughs> yeah I'm sure I'm sure you're very much set to be pushing back to the football league, so if you take that side out of it, a lot of the a lot of the the factors do make sense about the move.
3: I've seen a couple of comments about obviously look at his goal-scoring record. This seems to be the one season where he's really clicked. It's it, it, His record is obviously patchy before that. You know, see so comments about saying that oh, it was a bit of a risk because he's only had one good season. What would you say to those comments? Was it just that something clicked? Did everything align for him this season or do you think that he was in a system that really worked for him? What was it, do you think?
1: There are so many different factors as to why he did so well. Um, from his perspective, if you look at Paul and how he did, he got off to a fantastic start to the season. He scored 11 goals in 10 games. He was at a club where the pressure was reasonably less that um, the promotion came as a surprise. Nobody expected Paul to score 34 goals. So in a way, you get off to that good start, you get confidence and you're able to, to build momentum off the back of it. Um, yes, it's a fair point to say that He's only done it for, for one season. But when you look at how he did in that season, it's absolutely, in my opinion, whether he's taken a chance on that, that he, in, he may not necessarily score 34 goals. And I don't think anyone would expect him to do as no. well as he did last season. But based on that season, he had a, he's, he's clearly shown that he's a goal scorer and can do it moving forward.
3: The highlights reel spoke... Um... For itself, I thought there was a bit of everything in there. You know, he seems to have scored all manner of goals. He, he knows where the net is from loads of different positions.
1: What I would say about him is that he had a real knack of being in the right position at the right right place at the right time. It, that was, when you look at the highlights reel, yes, he scored a lot of outstanding goals that make the highlights real. but the ones that don't necessarily make the highlights real are the ones that are the where the ball has come to him in the box. He's found the right pocket of space. And he tucks it away. They don't always make it to the highlights reel. But a lot of those were very commonplace. And in some respects, he had many more chances that he could have added to his tally. And didn't necessarily convert those. But it was the fact that he was getting in the right positions that made him so good last season. What I would say as well, though, is that it's important that the players around him are the right players and are contributing as well. Because if you look at Cambridge last season, Wes Houlihan was outstanding as well and was a real creator of chances for the team. The service was fantastic to Paul as a result and to his other teammates. You can look at Joe Ironside as well, Paul's strike partner. In a way, he was a a perfect strike partner for Paul last year and did a lot of the things that Paul necessarily might not do, such as it was a real physical presence, Joe, which means that they complemented each other really well. So that'll be an important factor to see how he gets on next season, to make sure that the players around him are providing that service in the right way for him to be able to score the goals that he did. Stephen,
5: how far do you think he can go? So if he has if he has uh, a good season or gets off to a good start, is he, is he a championship-level player, do you think?
1: That is difficult to say on the grounds that, as, as we have said, um, it is one one season that he's had. And it is important to note that the seasons before that didn't follow the same pattern and he has broken away from that by having the season that he has what I would say is that he's if he's able to produce what he did last season again that makes him a goal scorer throughout two seasons of a level that is really really high and is not matched by many teams or many players should I say so I wouldn't necessarily want to speculate and say if he has a fantastic season at Wrexham then yes he'll be destined to be a championship player but what I would say is that if he can do it again what he is showing is that he's a proven goal scorer and people will want a proven goal scorer in their side for sure.
4: One thing that I noticed um, from the interviews is that Raxom's interest um, in him was quite recent. I think he said it was something like two days before the signing was done, essentially. Do you think there's a reason why someone who's you know, such hot property in theory has taken a while to get himself sorted out this uh, summer?
1: I, th- I, I wouldn't be able to say for any certainty, but you would imagine that as the summer's gone on he's he's had options that he's been weighing up and for one reason or another they haven't quite worked out for him as as i said earlier the fact that when he initially set out weighing up his options it, he was intending on staying in the football league and that was was part of the plan so maybe though those moves didn't necessarily come off but i am really <laughs> i don't know for certain on that point but as, as the summer's gone on he's obviously had this uh, option that's come up, um, Cambridge. In a sense, we're not sure from his, uh, from their perspective, whether we would have taken him back, or Cambridge would have taken him back um, at this point. Because in a way, he rejected the contract offer at the end of last month, and then Cambridge went out and signed another striker. So it's difficult to say whether there, there would be room to take him back, but. I'm sure the club would have done everything they could if it was an option. So I guess with Wrexham, a lot about the move made sense. And as a result, he thought um, it was a good opportunity to to go and do what he did last season. And also, importantly, go and get a promotion for Wrexham, which was a massive thing about what, what he said at the club last season at Cambridge, was that the promotion was what he was after. And I'm sure that will absolutely be the case this season, that regardless of how many goals he scores, the importance is the team and getting the team promoted.
5: Stephen, what's he like off the pitch? What, what does he bring to a dressing room? Is he a nice lad to deal with?
1: Yeah, he's a nice person to deal with. We, um, we, we As media, you only get a, a certain amount of access to people, but it seemed, certainly seemed like um, everyone at the club liked him. He most certainly developed a, a good relationship with the manager, and they've they've certainly been saying that, Throughout the season, that that is a factor why it it did work as well. That um, Paul being at Cambridge, the relationship he had with Mark was was very very good, and as a result, it it, it, it that when it, when it's working off the pitch, it translates to on the pitch. In that Paul is always to take one example, he's always wanted to to play as an out and out striker. He's he's not necessarily been given that opportunity throughout his career. And Mark Bonner made it very much an important factor that Paul would play as an out-and-out striker. And he did. And he played consistently throughout the season, played week in, week out. So to answer your question, we don't we don't see a huge amount about the personality, but absolutely a, a perfectly nice person to deal with uh, in terms of the media side standpoint. And, and I'm sure he got on with, with everyone um, at the club because, to be honest, the the environment at Cambridge United that they have created was very, very good last season. I'm sure Paul w- was a was a part of that.
3: Well, that was all nice and reassuring, wasn't it? Um, in terms of Jake Hyde, any thoughts, gents? I mean, seemed a pretty solid signing when he was made at the time. Kind of blown out of the water by Mullin, though. Yeah, capable. Um,
2: it's, it's just nice to be in a position to, to go after the sort of gems of other clubs, because we've always been the club that gets the sort of eagles circling around him, really. So it's nice to sort of, you know, be the be the one that goes in with the, with the money just to say, right, we're going to have that. I mean, the Mullion thing, obviously, it's it's um, rattled a lot of people, a lot of salty tears from all corners of England, um, saying that he's only gone for the money, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, we're, we're all in jobs where we, we work for the money, don't we? So, you know, it's, it just so happens it's, it's slightly different perception-wise of footballers. But, yeah, Hyde's really good. Don't m- know much more about Lennon. Here he's he's injury-prone a fair bit. But they've done their due diligence. I'm sure he's um, come for the, the uh, fitness test of flying colours and hence why it's a slightly shorter, shorter-term deal than the others.
5: I like the fact that uh, Hyde's six foot one. It's nice to have a bit of presence up there. Um, I think that could be useful depending on how Parkinson's going to play. Um as I said, same as Tim, I don't know much about Lennon. It was, it was a new name on me, but looking into it, the lad's got talent. He just can't get a run of games together. So, you know, last season it, it looked like he broke his leg, and that's unfortunate. If he's fully recovered from that, if it's if that leg break has given the rest of his body time to, to heal everything, he could, he could be a, a, a decent signing. I would expect, though, that we're still in the market for one or two centre-halves, and I would expect him to maybe start on the bench.
4: When I saw the Hyde signing, to be honest, I thought that was going to be our main man as far as up front goes. You know, Halifax fans were saying guaranteed 15 goals a season, which, okay, it might not be 20, but that's a pretty um, decent return and just seems like a really solid striker. So I'd imagine that's probably our business done up top between that and Mullen. Um, Lennon, as with everyone else, I don't know much about other than um, it seemed worthy to trail him with Lenny from The Simpsons on Twitter, apparently. Um yeah, enjoyed that one. Um, but yeah, can't complain either way.
3: And I, I think we're all agreed, are we, that sort of centre midfield is uh is where we really next need to strengthen are any any names, any any that anyone has heard or or even that anyone just wants, who who should we be targeting?
2: Jesus. now you're asking. Jesus.
5: <laughs>
2: <laughs> um I, well, I've heard there's definitely a couple coming in this week. I'm assuming one of those might be a midfielder. There's a bit on Red Passion that David Jones could be could be one. I mean, with think, us, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. What, and Bourne Derby
4: midfield enforcer David yeah. Jones? How old is he now? Uh, 36.
2: Is he? All
4: right, okay. He hasn't yeah, they... played for, a f- um, for about a season or so, but apparently he's been keeping his fitness up, <laughs> according to an article. Um, recently, but people reckon that he's training with us. So I don't know if there's any truth in that one, but I, could be the sort of even if he doesn't play week in week out, it's that sort of experience in the dressing room yeah. could be pretty it's similar to
2: what what we had with Stephen Stephen Wright, wasn't it? He yeah. was getting on, yeah, yeah. but when he came in, he did a really good job, and, and the other defenders learned a lot from him. So yeah, not I wouldn't say that's uh, too bad a move. Really nice little final payday
3: for him. Yeah, that would be nice. But well, I think we would need someone else to run the show for forty two games or forty-three games, however many it is these days. Plenty more to discuss on that. Hopefully next week's podcast we'll be discussing a couple of more signings. But time now to introduce our very special guest this week. Um, and I will let Andy do that too, because Andy and Liam caught up with him earlier on this week. It is the name.
5: Today, we are joined by Paul Leslie Rutherford. Thanks to Wikipedia for that re- revelation.
0: <laughs> you have to throw the Leslie in there.
5: <laughs> Almost 200 games for Wrexham. Words that you've been used to describe him over the years are underrated, the Energizer Buddy, and my personal favourite, two litre diesel. What's your favourite one of those, Paul? Um... To be honest, I think they're all compliments in their own right. You know what?
0: You know I am an energetic player. You know that's that's a big part of my game. The industry side of it. Um, I do feel that that overshadowed me quality at times. I think people had often, you know, probably use me late against me to beat me with a stick and say, oh, all he does is run around. All he does is try hard." But well, you know, it's in, in my in my world and my models. You know, the least you can ever do is you try your hardest. And you know, if there's a ball there, they can be got after. You get after it. You know. To be a little
5: same with the lads at times, that I chase Kish packets for you. <laughs> no, I think I think Wrexham fans, yeah, no, no Wrexham fans. They, it's the very least, they expect someone to really, really try for them. And I, I don't think you could ever say that you didn't do that. You every game that you that you came, you came on, you, you tried, you tried your best. Where so where do you sort of, Have you always been that sort of player? Have you always been like all the like growing up, just just that boundless energy. Where's it come from? I, it, the energy is just desire, you know, like people will say to you, oh, where would you get this energy from,
0: where you you know, find that lung buster from, are oh, you so fit, you this, but it's just pure heart and pure desire, to be honest, it's just a, a desire to do your best, a desire to win, and, you know, I, I said it many a time while I was at Brexham. you know, I, I feel like, you know, it's a working class area, I'm a working class lad, people want to see you earning your money, people want to see you fighting with everything you've got, and, you know, I was always very appreciative of, of how big a club Wrexham was, and, you know, mm. I always took it as if, you know, I'm a Liverpool fan. I want to see people right. working, playing for Liverpool. But, you know, I know how much it means to me playing for Liverpool. So I understand how much it means to people to want to play for Wrexham. So I'm fortunate enough to have had that chance to represent the club. And, you know, it it wouldn't be through a lack of trying or a lack of effort or anything. It'd be my downfall in that. It'd always be, you know, an appreciation for the for the badge, for the club, for the shirt and you know, for the people that are, you know, paying all their money to come and watch you. So that's, you know, that's probably where that desire spawns from and that, that energy and, you know, that extra couple of yards,
5: to, you know, to, to try and make the difference. Yeah, no, no, no. Right, let's get the dark part of your life out of the way now. <laughs> 50 what- games for Chester. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, they've got a pretty good youth system, haven't they? Was it a good grounding? I know you started at Liverpool, but that's Chester's where you really made, made your name, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, it, well, it was Chester in, you know, the professional game. Um, it was, you know, I look back at that time and, you know, I have to be appreciative to give me an opportunity to become a professional footballer. You know, they, they give me a good platform, but it was also, you know, a little bit of a conveyor belt with managers. You know, it was difficult. Right. You know, back then when, you know, I always say that the game's changed now. You know, the focus is on younger players now. Back then, it was more on the senior players. So hmm. we'd have a new manager to Chester every six months, you'd work your way up the pecking order. You'd you know, you'd get towards, you know, selection, manager to be sacked, you'd be bottom of the pile again. So it was it was frustrating as much as it was, you know, as much as it was an opportunity. Um I think the best fell I ever had there I must have started about eleven games consecutively. Yeah. You know, so I never really got the chance uh, to fully get into a momentum and you know, even that eleven game sequence was at the end of the season under Mark Wright. And, you know, I did really hmm. well. I had you know, interest from other clubs, from higher clubs, good offers that you know the Chester rejected, and you know it's those sliding door moments that you know they probably define me time there. You know there was there was opportunity from Tottenham at the time and from Southampton, right? And you know they they've rejected those bids based on not a, not a lot really, and you know the manager mm. got sacked that summer. Bobby Williamson come in and I go to the bottom of the pile again, and you know it's sort of like all your work previously is forgotten about, and you know it sort of became frustrating at that point. Well. You no, know, certainly going back to my youth you know, my youth days there in, in the youth team, you know, we had some some great players. We had a, a great production line of players, you know, yeah. we had myself, Chrissy Alroyd, Kev Roberts, Sean Newton, you know, four three other lads that have gone to represent. They all
5: play for Wrexham, yeah, absolutely, yeah. So
0: yeah. then we've had Sean so- Kelly, who, you know, had a decent career for himself, Neil Carroll, who, you know, had a career but was unfortunate with an injury. You know, mm. we've had it was numerous players to be honest that you know, that sort of went and had some sort of career for themselves within the game.
5: Yeah, to be honest, it would be great to get back to those days at Wrexham, really, wouldn't it? If you were producing producing players who, who you know, made it for the Wrexham team and then went and on and had careers. Um, so, I, right. I think that could be a big part of the club, but
0: I think, you know, yeah. Dan Nolan does a great job with it. You know, he, he's doing really well. You know, I'm still in contact with Dan. And, you know, one of the things that we're looking at doing is, that, you know, I'm, I'm going to try and come in and, and take an age group with Wrexham. You know, I'm going to try and, you know, stay affiliated with the club and, you know, try and work with the youth department. You know, you look at the first team now, they've got, you know, Bickers, Jake Bickerstaff, they've got Max. Yeah. i I'd try and say his name, but I'd make a, a hash of it, to be honest.
5: So we got. Right. Max, is that Cleworth, is it?
0: Yeah. Two great prospects, you know, the, the good players. And, yeah. you know, they'd, they'd just be waiting for an opportunity to go and, you know, to go and stake the claim for the place. So they might hmm. have a little bit more development to do, but certainly there's a lot of ability between a pair of them and then, you know, Ryan, who, you, you know, started to come along with the first team last year. You know, he, he'll have an opportunity to to, to yeah. stake a claim. And no, I think that the talents can be there. I think, you know, it's hard. You know, the club's and the club's got an objective to get out of the league. You know, it's difficult to blood youngsters while you're doing that, but I, I certainly feel uh, you know, amongst actually over there that there's there's a you know a good core of talent.
5: Cool. I want to talk to you more about Jordan Davis, but I think we'll come back. We'll come to that later. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So let's 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 go to to when you you signed for Wrexham Then so you'd be, you'd been to Barrow. You sort of c- cut you. You know, cut your career there about 150 games and then Southport, similar similar amounts. So, how did the move to Wrexham come about? Because you're a mill signing, weren't you? I'm always interested in sort of like the dynamics of a move. So, it's like, does someone phone your agent and then they they phone you, or did they phone you direct? Sort of, how, how did it come about? You know, I've never really had an agent. So, um, you know,
0: it's funny enough, it was Mark Isaac, again, the old Chester manager. So he right. started calling me out of the blue. I, I, I never really stayed in touch with him or anything. He just picked up my number. Um, he started calling me, telling me that Rexham were interested. It must have been maybe the March time. So Rexham were interested. They had absolutely interested at the time. stockport were trying to keep me. Um, You know, there was a couple of options, but Mark, I was saying that Gary Mills was really keen and it was something that I really wanted to pursue. So I sort of kept it on the banner Mark. I kept, you know speaking to Gary Mills about it. And then it come to maybe the early part of May that summer. Yeah. And, yeah, Gary Mills really pushed on with the interest then and, you know, started talking figures, started talking, you know, what he really seen me in his plans, what he thought. You know, at the time I was working in B&Q and I was working, well, obviously playing for Southport. Yeah. So, you know, trying to juggle the balance between that and, you know, transitioning into the full-time game from, I mean, Southport was three days a week, so it was pretty much full time. But you know, to go on fully full time and leave and be here at that point, so we, you know, we we discussed that. There wasn't really a great deal of talk around football. He wasn't like, you know, I see you in this position, I see you in that position. It was just more, hmm. are you interested? Can we make it work? We made it work. I went and met him. It was up at Colliers at the time, so I went on a to tour yeah. at Colliers. That's when.
5: Uh, that's, he it's to- impressive. To
0: make- yeah, but to be honest, from where I'd come from, you know, colliers at that point, it had obviously hadn't been developed at that point, but it was still mm-hmm. a lot better than, you know, what I trained at, at Southport, what I trained at at Barrow, even Chester, to be honest. To Chester, we must have had about 11 training grounds because they weren't paying the bills on any of them. So, right, um, yeah. So we were just out of the here there and everywhere. So, you know, we showed me around a training ground. It was really impressive. I did a medical for the first time in my career. So I was there sweating because at the time I was carrying a little <laughs> bit of timber. So I was like, <laughs> I'm not sure I'm going to pass this. And then, he, you know, he told me where he seen me in the team and how he wanted to play, how he wanted to take the club forward. You know, so it, it, to be honest, a lot of players say all the time that, you know, moves tick boxes for them. But uh, it really did. You know, it was a good opportunity for me. It was a big club. I understood the size of the club without truly understanding because I always feel you don't really ever understand once you're there. Yeah. Um, you know, and it was a project that I was excited to get involved with and, You know, at that time, Ebsleet offered me, you know, a lot more financially. But once I knew Wrexham were were interested, it was, you know, it it just made sense for me on every front.
5: Yeah. Now, Mills, he's quite a divisive character on this this podcast. And when I say divisive, mm, I'm probably, I'm probably... uh... Yeah, yeah. So right, coming into that dressing room, you have got great pros like Carrington. You've got Newton, who you knew, but then you've got some names from and folklore. We've got we've got Michael Bakari, we've got Tyler Harvey, we've got Naughty Naughty. Did you come into that and think, my God, this squad is unbalanced?
0: Well, yeah, to be honest, I was there and I was watching the summer, so I seen. I think Jordan White signed just before me. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I saw that as quite an exciting signing, and then. Hmm. I signed, and then not a lot really happened. And I was like, "What's going on here?" I've seen Connor Jennings has just left. I've seen, you know, a few others have left the building, and I'm like, "Is this a big transition at this point?" Is is this all it's Mm. you know cut out to be? I'm thinking, "What's going on?" And then I seen like Bacardi sign, Naughty Naughty sign, Callum Mm. Powell sign, Jalen Bailey Nichols, and I was like, "Oh my God, what's going on?" to be fair, that's like if I'm talking about Gary Mills as a person, brilliant. Yeah. Like, you know, as a manager, he believed in me arguably more than anybody. Um, you know, mm. I, I played some, some of me. You know, in my opinion, some of my best football under him in terms of the freedom I had for the team, the freedom I had on the pitch. You know, he allowed me to be a lot more creative than, than probably what I, I turned out to be during the bulk of my time at Wrexham. Um. Mm. You Know he, he took the shackles off and really let me express myself. Um, but in terms of the recruitment of that summer, I, I thought he was miles off. I thought, um, yeah. you know, it's, it's easy to speak once you've you know, once people have left and you've left yourself, you know, uh, you know, without speaking poorly of them as lads. I just don't think, I'll, you know, certainly some of them appreciated the football club, I think he didn't actually Mm. like being footballers I think he wanted to be Instagram footballers in terms of you know let's get the posts up let's get the followers let's get the lifestyle of that not the actual essence of being a footballer and the sacrifice the demands you know the substance of it you know the day to day grind of it you know when your body's hurting and you've got to go through that pain barrier to go and perform be it training be it games I just think they didn't understand the gravity of that and didn't understand the requirements of football, never mind the requirements of playing for, for Wrexham, which for me is, you know, it's a unique football club in terms of the passion, you know, the integrity, the desire that people want to see. And, you know, I, I, I don't feel like those lads reflected that. No, that's not to say all of them. You know, I think John Rooney was, you know, it was a great time. Yeah. At the time. You know, I think, yeah. you know, I thought he did really well, and obviously, you know, the contract situation played out. How it played out, and was you know a difficult one to bridge. Um, mm. you know, you know, Anthony Barry was a good lad. You know, maybe towards the summit of his career, who yeah. you know, what he'd have liked to have offered a couple of years previously. But certainly, you know, like the names I mentioned earlier, with you know, with Callum Powell, with Caelan Bailey Nichols. Mm. I, I, you yeah. know, I, I just couldn't relate to them I mean there was there was a story we played Southport away and, and Callum Piles come up to me and went did you come from this you played at this team this is terrible and I was like what, what are you on about you've played in like two levels lower you yeah. absolutely I was like, I was like you, you were at Ruby time, weren't you and he's gone, yeah and I was mm. like I didn't even know they had the team I thought that was a sport like <laughs> you to be disrespectful <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> I'm like you're trying to be disrespectful towards this and my career and where I've come from but you've come from places worse and it just made me think of him as a person like you know you're, you're miles off it you're not what's going to drive this club forward but I remember yeah. that coming at I was like this is going to be a jump up for me I'm going to have to mm. like get myself in shape you know that's when I started to lose weight so I was 75kg the, the day I left Southport by the time I come to Wrexham, I was 72 and then ultimately I've balanced out now at about 77 78kg you know, so mm. I have made sure that I got myself in shape and I come in thinking I need to be at it, I need to be at shape, like you said, you know, when you newts and you carry, you know, yeah. I obviously history of Wrexham I played against good Wrexham sides. I played against the side that, that had, you know, got ninety-nine points. I thought this is a jump for me. I need to show these people that I'm I belong at this level. And I come mm. into training the first day and I was like, This isn't this isn't going where I thought it was. This is this is yeah. not even from Southport, some of these lads.
5: Yeah, I I mean the first season of Mills played some brilliant football he you know he, he 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 got some good players in and it seemed to completely fall off for the for the second for the second season we we don't really know we don't really know why uh but you know it was just another uh, it was just another sort of quite soul destroying season being a Wrexham fan so let's move away from mills and the person who came in next was Dean keats did you know Keats at all no only through playing against them so I had a couple of games against them and he was a fucking nightmare to
0: play against, to be honest. He was just like a rash. Yeah. He was depressed. He was horrible. He'd kick you. Mm. He'd leave one on you, and then he'd, he'd football you as well. To be fair, he was, he was obviously very talented at football. So um, mm. I, I didn't know of him as a person. Then when he first came in, you know, it was as a temporary basis, and I was injured at that point. I had um right. cold lunch thing. So I was instantly thinking, oh, fucking hell, I'm injured, and new managers come <laughs> in. You know what am I gonna do? here? like you know, this has been a little bit of a shit show. With arguably the worst team Rexham's ever had at this point. Like, yeah. You know, I've got a I've got a job on here to to make sure that I can impress this manager and show them the, you know, again not to not to be disrespectful to the lads that were at Rexham at that time, but to show them that I wasn't made from the same cloth as some of them, and as, yeah, to show them that you know I was better than that, and that my standards were better than that, and you know straight away he, he just come in and. It was probably more when he when he got the job permanently initially. It was, you know, I'm I'm just a steward here and I'm just gonna guide it through, you know, you know, the mm. choppy waters that we're in. You know, arguably it probably got worse before it got better that season. You know, I, I was injured when we got beat by Stanford in the FA Cup and that was
3: yeah. you, know, and,
0: you know, that was that was probably the lowest point of my time at Wrexham mm. you know, I was dating in Stanford that the they were they were poor like and but they just beat us on our own patch here. What, what? What What? even is this? Like, this is
3: yeah,
0: yeah. what's going on here. So, um, you know, it, it got worse, but I think that January when he signed Geno, um, he signed a couple of other lads, Russ Penn, you know, we even mm. the McLeod to an extent and, you know, Tums and some of Masanka, you know, we really raised the spirit to the place. But, yeah. you know, going back to Geno and Russ Penn, you know, they raised the bar, they raised the standards, they, they improved the group. You know, obviously we had you know, John Rooney there, myself there, Sean Newton, you know, was was probably in and out of the camp at that point in terms of, you know, he'd had the head team at the York offer. Um, mm. You know, so we had people that were trying to drive the standards, Carrick, you know, but there wasn't enough of us. And, you know, Geno and, and you know, Russ Penn really helped to to bring those standards forward. And, you know, Tom's really had to bring people together. He lifted the spirit to the place. You know, Keats went about his... His recruitment for the next summer brilliantly. You know, we brought in the likes of Sean Pearson, Sam Wedgbury, Marcus Kelly. Yeah. You know, lads that had good quality, good good values about themselves. You know, that's what I always hmm. always feel about that group. That it was it was arguably arguably the best group of lads in terms of how we all saw each other, how we all respected each other, how we all went about our business. You know, it wasn't always pretty, but it was. You know, it was a, it was a set of lads that were fighting for each other, that were playing for each other, that were playing for the town. You know, and I and I felt that team mm. really reflected the values of the of the time and and certainly the football club. Um, you know, Chrissy Alroyd as well, you know, I forgot to mention him. I thought Chrissy was yeah. great down at that point. You know, and it was it was it was good to be a part of, but Keats really set the tone in terms of this is what this club expects. You know, I remember mm. that summer with the first Portugal tour, you know, it was very big on lads we go and mix with the fans. Previously, there was probably that little probably that little bit of lack of respect, to be honest in terms of, again, you know, I sound like I'm throwing lads under a bus here with Callum Powell. <laughs> I, I just don't think they got the town. I just don't think they valued the people. I don't think they, they respected the people. Um, You know, so he, he bridged that brilliantly, I felt. Mm-hmm. You know, we brought in lads like Wedge, you know, Honest as the Days Long, Sean Pearson, the yeah. same. People who respect mm-hmm. the football club, people who want to improve a football club, people who buy into the values of a football club. No, and mm. it, and I felt that that's what really improved. The standards improved the day to day. There was a fine system proper in place where you know things mattered. You know, we used to do yeah. um, Dutch Masters in training. So Dutch Masters, you'd play two four to side games in big size goals and then two four to side games in school sided goals. The tempo was at it and it was all individual. So your teams had changed, but you as an individual accumulated points. Right. So, okay. So you had to win to to um so if I won a game, say I got 10 points for me as a 4v4, then I change partners, and win again, mm. I get a 20 points. And it drove the standards of the club. And, it, you know, it, it just meant the training mattered, the intensity mattered, there was something on it. So the winner got, I think the gaffer went out, T and bought lottery tickets for the winner. So you go out and you get lottery tickets for that Friday, for the Euros, the loser had to put the money in for the winner to get the lottery tickets. So there was there was standards being driven every day. There was There was brilliant stuff that was going on, you know, his recruitment in terms of the calibre of lad, the calibre of player, you no, know, but more importantly, the calibre of lad, like I said, was, was spot on. Um, and it was just like this is proper now. This is like brilliant yeah. because you know, initially I had a little wobble that summer to be honest. I had Gary Mills trying to get me to York. I had um Sean Newton casing of me to go in, and I was like, you know, what direction this is going? But as soon as I seen, you know, the Sean Pearson was signing, Sam Wedgbury, Chris Alroy, James Jennings. I thought this is this is the place to be again now, and this is where I'm going to get like the full opportunity to be a Wrexham player and to be competing at the right end of the table, and you know, trying to achieve the things that this football club should be achieving, and you know, it's it's a it's a crossroads that I you know probably for the only time in my career that I got right by staying.
5: Yeah. I mean, again, it, ultimately, it, it was quite a disappointing season for Wrexham just because of what happened towards the end. So, did, so when, when, when Keith did leave to go to Walsall, did you, did the players feel let down at all? Could you understand his decision?
0: I think we understood, to be honest. I think, you know, you're disappointed because you're, you're in the midst of a journey. You know, I think we were, we were second in the league at that point. yeah. I think yeah we were we, you know we were second or third we just beat Chester in the derby you know probably as comfortable a two 0 game as there's ever going to be you know it was mm. it was start to finish we were dominant um, we were disappointed obviously because you know we someone that's built something you know you you feel like it's going somewhere but you know we completely understand you know you take you take you know the emotion out of a situation you know for for you know Dean Keats at the time it's his hometown club it's two leagues higher. You know, as much as you know, we're invested in Wrexham. You know, he's got an opportunity there. That's you know, it's a big, big opportunity for him. And you know, it mightn't be popular saying so, but it you know, it's a it's a club two leagues higher. It's you know, it's his hometown club. You know, he loves Wrexham to bits. I know that for him. You know, the time I've worked under him, and you know, for how he expresses his opinion on Wrexham, you know, I don't feel like you know that always comes across because of how he left that time. Yeah, you know, it's a decision that, you know, as a professional, you'd have to understand as a, you know, as a, as an, as an employee of Exxon and someone that's working under him directly, it was disappointing. It was, you know, it was heartbreaking, you know, our reaction as a squad at that point was, can we galvanise, you know, can we get over the line? Can we, can we make this happen? You know, I think there was maybe eight to 10 games to go at that point. We'd probably projected yeah, yeah. three, four wins would get us there. And, you know, if you'd have asked us on the day that they left, would we get four wins? I'd have, I'd have said yes, certainly, but you know, ultimately, you know it didn't play out like that, and you know the season did end in disappointments. It was frustrating. It was disappointing. It was, you know, it was gotten. You know, I think everyone sort of looks at the Leighton audience away game that year as if like that was the moment it went. But for me, it was Dagenham the week before, where you know we were one 0 up. Um, you know we had scored actually, for, which is a mm. rare thing itself. So I'd scored and. You know, we ended up getting beat two on at home, and that was the moment where I felt like you know we've lost the game there where we were the better team. And if we'd have won that, I felt like we'd have cemented the playoffs. Um but ultimately yeah. think, looking at that squad, we probably didn't quite have enough quality. We um we had a good right. call of players, we had a good group of players, but ultimately we, we lacked a goal scorer that year. You know, mm. Quiggs had come in the back end of the season, he would started like I was on fire, but then it sort of petered away and you know, his form had sort of gone, you know, we were picking up a few niggles where it was like, you know, can you play through for us? We need you. But, he, you know, his body wouldn't let him. Um, yeah. did you know, just petered into, into like you've said, ultimately failure. You know, and it, it, mm. it was frustrating. It was disappointing. But in terms of being Keats, you know, I could, I could fully understand his decision professionally. You know, it was, a, it was a good opportunity for him, something that, you know, that probably not many will understand. And, you know, you know, it, when you support a football club, you know if J- Jürgen Klopp left today. And when and took on the German national team, I'd be, I'd be the first moaning about it and saying, you know, that's wrong. You shouldn't be mm. doing that. But ultimately, as a professional, if that's a step in his career, that you know, it's his, it's his home nation. It's, you know, if that's a step that he feels he would need to take, then you couldn't really knock it. And you know, I feel like that's similar to, to what Dean Keats
5: did back then. Could you put your finger on what went wrong under for those last? eight to ten games. I know Andy Davis took charge. There seemed to be continuity there. There was just you know, there wasn't any massive injuries or anything. It just seemed to it just seemed to fall away, didn't it?
0: Yeah, like I say, I, I just think you know, a lot of the success we had from getting to that point was the togetherness was grinding mm. results out. You know, like I say, it, a lot of it wasn't pretty. I think, you know, we brought in Nicky Devidich. we hoped that he'd probably give us a little bit more spark in January than
1: yeah. you know,
0: we, you know, we managed to produce, you know, Devs is a great lad as well, it wasn't through a lack of trying or anything it, it just didn't click for him at Wrexham you know, I think he was probably stifled a little bit with the regiment of the system that we were playing you know, we were a, a stick 4-4-2 at that point he'd either play on the left or the right around me we probably slid Kells in a little, mm. you know, he tried to try and give us that little bit more creativity but you know, it was it was difficult for him to settle and he probably didn't produce what we hoped for you know, Quiggs, like I say, started to pick up little niggles and you know, we probably missed his, you know, form from you know January to March, towards the back end of mm-hmm. the season. You know, we didn't have that goal scorer that we had previously. You know, we we were heavily dependent on Chrissy's goals, and you know, we, I I can't remember off the top of my head whether his goals continued, but you yeah, know, yeah. a lot of our goals had dried up at that point, and it was it was disappointing, it was frustrating. I think the manager leaving probably dented us a little bit psychologically. You know, we probably felt a little bit more vulnerable, but you know, ultimately it's down to the players. That's that's the short and long of it. You know, we're out on the pitch where the 11 that's been selected and I think a lot of the time we didn't get the results that we probably should have at that point. You know, like mm. I say, playing Leighton audience away that day, I always felt that Leighton audience would be strong the next season. I said it to, to many of the lads at that point that, you know, they'll be up there next year. We'll be in there with them. They'll be up there. You know, I was I was proved right on that one because they went and won the league. So, you know, the pictures mm. were probably a little bit tougher than they looked on paper, but... Like I say, it's it's with the lads that one and you know ultimately we're the eleven on the pitch and we didn't get the results that, that we needed at that point.
5: So let's fast forward to the next season. I think I'm right in saying that Sam Ricketts was next to come in. Um, yeah. and to be honest, when that announcement was made, I was scratching my head a little bit. And by the time I did a bit of research into him, I actually thought, Well, this actually could be quite a clever move, you know, a guy who's who's done coaching the right way, moving his way up through 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 the levels and to be honest, he seems like he seemed like a like a, a good appointment. Um, it started well. How did you find him?
0: I loved him, to be honest. At first, it was it was really uncertain that summer because you know I'd come in the back of it. I think I got seventeen assists that year under Dean Keaton and, and two goals. You know, mm. it was nineteen goal contributions. It was the highest at the club, and I was there thinking I might get a deal here or not because nobody's like yeah. nobody's here to make a decision. So it was unsettling at the beginning, but he come in. Um, he asked for meetings with all the lads. we come in, we met him, and straight away, you could just see, like, he was immaculate. Like, he had the tactics board out. He was there in his suit. He looked at that. I kept the wife away from him, to be honest. He was looking at that. <laughs> you know,
5: he, he He's smooth, yeah?
0: Yeah, he just, he just used it, like, you know. He, was <laughs> had it. Like, he had the talk, he had the presentation. He was clear on what he wanted from the football club, what he wanted from me as an individual. You know, he was very complimentary me previous season. he saw me in his plans, you know, and from that day, he was brilliant. We went into pre-season. Everything was done immaculately, absolutely everything. Everything was done to a standard. He got a stenting conditioning coach back in after Nick had left. Alan Andrews was 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 top drawer. He was very professional, drove standards. You know, he had Graham Barrow in with him, you know, bringing those old school models, those old school values, you know, mm. making sure that, you know, everyone had to kick up the ass to be honest. That you know, if you'd had a couple of days off that you were back at it the next day, you were straight in, there was no like hangover from your days <clears> off. <throat> you had John Pitts who come in, He was a, a sports psychologist. You know, he he did personality profiles on the whole squad. He understood the whole squad. You know, he, he made you he made you earn your status within the squad, but also feel valued as an individual within the squad. And then Sam Ricketts tactically just took it to a next level. You know, we had I always say that Dean Keats put the core of that squad together. Sam had sprinkled extra talent in with Luke Summerfield, with Stuart Bevan, you know, yeah. with a couple of other lads, you know, Jordan Maguire-Drew, Luke Young, you know, I we, we know Dean Keats wanted to sign the previous summer. Um, he's brought in that extra bit of quality, that tactical now, you know, for me as an individual, football had never been so easy for me, you know, whether I was playing mm-hmm. right, left or in the 10, he just made it so clear for you, just with the yeah. simplest instructions. You know, if I was playing 10, for example, he said to me, you need to see the back of the centre mid share. That's, that's all you need to do, whether you're touching the ball or you're not, see the back of their shirt because if they can't see you, you're affecting them. If you're not getting on the ball at that point, Summers will be getting on the ball and then he'll find you in the pockets because they'll they'll have to engage with him. And he said, and vice right versa, if you're on the ball, Summers will be an outlet and then we can switch play. He just made mm-hmm. it so easy for you. It was just like, how, how have I not been onto this at a younger age? How have I not got like this simplicity in my game? They just brought. Clarity to it. It was just mm. um, a real understanding of what what the football was. He'd kicked it on a level. And, you know, it, it was brilliant to play under, to work under. Like I say, mm. the only frustration, and again, it, it's probably a bigger frustration towards Sam Rickett than there's Dean Keaters when he left. That's yeah. when I felt like, you know, if he'd have stayed, I, I truly believe that we'd have won the league that year. I felt like, yeah. you know, he got us in a good place as a squad, he got us in a good place as individuals. You know, there'd be times, it sounds weird now to say, but there'd be times when me and Luke Young would be competing in the same position and um, you'd go and speak to him and you'd say to him, hey, listen, Gaffer, you know, what's what's happening, blah, blah, blah. And he'd just start riddling you up. He'd be like, yeah, Youngie this, Youngie that, Youngie this. And then he'd start talking about his career. I'd come away from my first conversation with him, like wondering why I was off the team. And I was none the wiser. Like, he just riddled me up and just completely sidetracked me. So the second time, I had to cut across him and just be like, listen, Gaffer, what's going on here? Like, it's been three weeks now. I've been sub. What What's happening? Am I, like, am I in your plans? Am I this? Am I that? And he'd just be like, listen, brilliant. Love what you're doing. But your output is very high. Same as Youngy, and that's why I'm rotating the periods. You know, your outputs are high. You're doing 13Ks a game, and your high-intensity sprints are like two two and 2,500 metres. He said, I need to look after you to make sure you're fresh for the season. So that's why the pair of you two are, are sort of rotating. So he, he was just brilliant with his message, with everything he delivered. And when he left, it was it was honourable to be honest, because I think we had Newport.
5: Yeah, had Newport, Newport in the cup, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, I think we had Newport at home that day and there was a text that went into the group and it was like, listen, lads, um I've been recommended to stay away for the game tonight. um I've not left. It was something along their lines. It was a big, long text. It was You know, he was wishing us all the best and everything, but he, he hadn't left. she so was like, listen, I think the stage it is with Shrewsbury, I, you know, it's best to stay away tonight. So there was a little bit of uncertainty. And, you know, we went into that Newport game. I felt like we performed really well. We were unlucky not to win. Um, mm. You know, and then I think it was the Tuesday. I think it was Tuesday where he put in the group then. Listen, lads, um, you know, uh, ultimately we've decided that it's best that I move on now. The opportunity was through, this, it's that. You know, and as a said, lads, we were gutted because we were in a great place at that point. We, you know, we were accumulating a lot of points. He'd set up a target system where he broke the season down into 10 games. So we were, you know, we were on course to produce a title-winning season at that point when he left. You mm. know, and it, it was cheating, to be honest, because it really took the wind out of our sails. And, you know, I felt like if we'd have stayed, we'd have won the league. You know, with Keats, I felt like ultimately the season before, we'd have probably hit the playoffs. I don't know how high in the playoffs, but we'd have hit the playoffs. Playoffs is a lottery. But with Ricketts, mm. I really felt like we'd have, we'd have gone on and won the league that season.
5: Yeah. Was it, do you think it was just the fact that Shrewsbury were at a higher level? Would, do you think there was anything behind the scenes with budgets, anything to do with coaches? Or do you just think that, you know, if a League One club come calling, you're ambitious, you take it?
0: I think at the time, Wrexham didn't have the resource that maybe Sam Ricketts would have liked. Um I think he'd obviously come from Wolves as a player, Bolton as a player, you know, higher levels where standards were really high. You could have... You know, so I remember one of the conversations with, with Alan Andrews, the fitness coach, and we, we were on, mm. so I think there was like a food allowance for away games and we were getting fresh, like freshly prepped meals, but it was taking the budget like far over what, what the club had allocated for it, and it was like little bits that were adding up like that that kept snagging. Um, so I think he was probably a little bit frustrated on that front in terms of, you know, how high a standard he could actually establish at Wrexham, but mm. I, I think if you asked him today, was it was it a mistake in leaving? I think Andonati probably say it was, because I think yeah. ultimately he could he could be operating at a higher level with Wrexham still. He you know he could probably have arguably, you know, maybe gained a better move after he'd achieved the promotion with Wrexham. You know he could have went into the championship, maybe He could have went into a higher club in League One. I think, I think mm-hmm. obviously at the time he's looking you know Sewsbury, it's a League One club, new training ground, new ground. You know it's it's probably got a good infrastructure. But for me, you know, if I put it all down on paper, I think Wrexham will, you know, yeah. Don't quote me. Well, I say don't quote me on this. But I'm quote right, myself. you're on a podcast, Paul.
5: Of we're going to have to, we're going to have to quote you.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sure. I think Wrexham's infrastructure, could I'll Shrewsbury's infrastructure. I think just with the fan base alone, and we'll quote
5: you on that definitely.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think it. I think it could. <laughs> Hopefully, Shrewsbury don't approach me for a job or anything at any point. I'm going that now. But um, yeah, I, I think. I think it allowed Grower. I think the club's in a better direction and I think he, you know, I think he's probably jumped a little bit too soon there and I think, like I say, mm. if you're at Sam Ricketts, you know, I, I'm not privy to that information but he probably, he probably deep down maybe agree with that you know, and, yeah. and I think he could have built something a lot better at Wrexham than ultimately he built at Shrewsbury.
5: Yeah. I mean, you sort of mentioned it that that when he left, the wind got, got taken out your sails. I mean, uh, Graham Barrow came in, he obviously knew you quite well. Um, like you say, he's quite an old school, old school boss, started really well. That, that game against Salford's probably one of the best games Wrexham have played in, in the last sort of five, 10 years. But again, it just, it, it petered out a little bit, didn't it? Could you, could, could you sort of put your finger on why? Freaking hell. <laughs> yeah. um,
0: there was a couple of reasons to be honest, I think. Um, gee, uh, I've got all the respect in the world for Graham battle Like, he's someone who's always looked after me even as a young boy at Chester. Like, he. He'd make sure I was all right. He'd make sure, you know, a lot of the time at Chester, I was left out of the travelling squad on a Friday under Mark market. And G would be always the one to deliver the news. And, you know, he'd always give me a little pep talk with it. He'd always have an arm around the shoulder with it. And we'd always have like a little nudge with it. You know, there'd be times when, so as I touched on earlier, there'd be times when I'd want the conversation with Sam Ricketts. But as a person, you know, I'm sort of one where I I'd, I'd, I'd see a big picture. So I, I can see why I'd come off the team at times. I can see why I'd come back in the team. I can see why. You know, that's he's not the same record to start 39 out of the 46 games. I missed two through injury, and the others mm. I came under the in So I was a you know a massive part of the squad. So I probably exaggerated a little bit more in terms of I need the conversation. But gee, you'd be like, come and speak to him. You you you're performing brilliantly. You're doing brilliant. Come and speak to him. Make sure that you know he knows that you want to be playing. That you're not accepting the situation. That you're a the main man. Go and tell him that. And he was incredible for me on that front. He was brilliant. But I think first off, he you know. He got his assistant manager wrong. Um
5: Yeah, I think I, Mike, think, I think most people agree with that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think Mike Newell didn't didn't contribute a lot for him. I think he probably needed a more, you know, hands on younger coach. I think G ended up having to be manager, assistant manager, coach at that point because, you know, Mike Newell just he was just miles off it, to be brutally honest. You know, he's a he's a nice fella. He's he's all right, but in terms of the right environment for a football club and wanting to win things. No, like he's, he's not, he's not what he's not the go to, he's not the answer. I think he got mm. that wrong. I think he needed, you know, someone younger, someone with a little bit more energy, someone who could be a little bit more hands on, take a lot of pressure off him, go and deliver more things, let him just be manager, someone to be a coach. And then I always look at that Christmas spell, you know, we were in a great place. We just beat Salford 5 1, we backed it up with a 1 0 win at Tolliel, you know, mm. great momentum. We taking six points from teams that were around us in the table. We were going to solve it away. You know, I always saw that as a banana skin because, you know, we've made a lot of noise about winning five one. You know, we, we you know, Robbie Savage was sweet the Nevals and everything. You know, it was yeah, you know, I always felt like, you know, let's not get too carried away, let's not get arrogant. These are gonna do a number on us. The game panned out at Sol for the Way, you know, they had the bank of 10 behind the ball in they half. We should have just fined them. Like, we don't need to win if we get seven points from three games at this point, that's, that's an incredible return. You no, know, I felt like we probably played a little bit too expansive in that, in that game. We should have just, you know, uh, and as, as pessimistic as that may sound, play the draw then, but away from home, we took seven points from, from teams around us at Christmas day. That's a, an unbelievable return play for the draw. Cause they need points more than we need points at this point. You know, mm. we've got seven points. We're building momentum. So we ended up playing about three different formations in that one game. And, coming in at the end of the game after the 2-0 defeat, it, it it sort of went off. And like I was like, well, there's, there's no need for this. There's no there's no panic going on. Like we why are we panicking? Why have we done three different formations? Like we've been beat. Like we shouldn't have got beat. We should have we should have played a draw because they didn't even want to win the game. We should have played a draw. But you know it's not the end of the world. We've taken six points from from nine around Christmas. So you're average out, you're on you're on course anyway. You you've got a great yeah. point return take that momentum, build it. And we sort of didn't. We had a meltdown as if that was a crisis and it was, you know, it was a big problem that we'd lost that one football match. And I don't feel like we fully recovered from that. You know, we stuttered a little bit. We, you know, it flickered, it got going again and then, you know, it stopped going. We never got that sustained form that we had under Sam Ricketts going again. And, you know, I think he he got those two key things wrong. That that team talk at, at Salford, which was... Again, a lot of that was down to Newley. He was there just hammering people left, right and centre. And I was like, mm. what are you on about? You didn't even bring from Boots to your first training session. Like, what's, what's going on? Are you saying about standards and your standards are, you know, arguably the worst here? You know, and <laughs> again, like, I, you know, don't, don't get me wrong. Like, you know, if Mike Newell ever hears this, that's, it is what it is. His career is a lot better than mine. And he's achieved far greater things in football and what I achieved. for. Just that that moment in his life, and that moment at Wrexham, He wasn't the right man for the for the role, and you know he's mm. a lovely fella. He was a great fella. You know he was he was fine on the day to day. He was a nice person, but in terms of what he brought to the role as an assistant manager, I, I felt like he fell short a lot. And, yeah. You know, ultimately that was our downfall on the on the battle.
5: Yeah, and I think a lot of people will agree. I mean, we we scratched our head when when Yule came in. We couldn't quite understand it because you know the dynamic of the older experienced person coupled with the younger person with the good, you know, the good new ideas seem to really work. So replicate it again. I mean, even if you were just bringing, I don't know, even Sean Pearson into to that, I, 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 probably too early for him. But, you know, I've someone...
0: Hell. Sean carries a great word, but he talks nonsense. <laughs> 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 nah, it, Delivers a good takeaway,
5: think...
0: though. <laughs> I think he'll be a manager one day, Sean. I think he's, you know, he's got great characteristics. He's a great lad. He's, you know, he's, he's great around the place, but I think, as you say, it would have been too early for Sean at that point. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. You know, if you look at the next appointments in Brian Hughes, if, you know, maybe... Glenn yeah, Banner I was going to get on a combination ...would have yeah. been fine. Like, as a combination, yeah. it would have worked really well. for. no, like, it's, it's Sean Pearson, like I say, you know, he's a great leader, great standards, great... Just how he invests in a football club, the things that he brings to a football club, the values, the standards, you know, he's... He's unbelievable at driving all that, and you know, an unbelievable lad to boots. You know, we do anything for you. He, you know, he look after you, and you know, he's probably got one of the best traits that I value is honesty. You know, he tells you whether he, you know whether he thinks you're out, whether you think he's good enough. You know, he's honest with you. You know, he doesn't blow smoke up your ass to so just keep you happy. He, he's honest, and you know, I don't mm. think you
5: can put a price on that as a person. No, fair enough. Right, you've touched on it, Brian Hughes. Now I said earlier that Sam Ricketts had me scratching my head a little bit, but I sort of. Got the decision. Brian Hughes had me scratching my head, and I still haven't got the decision. I, I, I just thought it was a bit left field. I I didn't think he really, he really had the background to come in when Wrexham really really needed someone to to, to grab them and, and, and pull them up to the next level. There still was a core of a good you know a good side there. Um, I couldn't really understand it. How did the players sort of feel? Um, I. Uh...
0: It's hard to know. So, like, the rest of that season that he come in, he was sort of just guiding us. Um, we had that three away games where we took seven points. You know, it was a, a terrific return for us. You know, that sort of gave us a lot more momentum going into the home yeah. stretch again. Um, you know, we were in a great place. But he, he just started going bizarre, to be honest. Like, <laughs> he had this idea of, like, total football, academy football, and I mm. was just like, this this doesn't work at this level, like, I get where your ideology is. I get it, but you're, you're miles off it. Like, mm. it's hard for me to discuss. Like as a group, I can tell you, as an individual, I was just flabbergasted. To be honest, after time, I was like, I don't get your angle here. Right. I just don't get what you're coming from. So, like, we obviously got into a great place at that back end of the season. We we secured the playoffs. We were still chasing for the title. We were still chasing mm. down that pack up until three three games to go, maybe. Um. We obviously lost the Halifax away, which was frustrating, disappointing. Um, we were still in the mix at that point, and then we had the final home game at Harrogate. But towards maybe the Halifax game, so we, it was earlier, actually, because Summers was injured, so I'd been moved from the wing into centre-mid under him. And mm. he, I, I remember one of the chats in the town, daft every time I tell it back so like, I'd be in there and he'd be shouting nonsense to me all game, him and and you know, UC Ascalan, and I'd be shouting like, brothers, stay, stay. And I'd be like, What does that mean? <laughs> honestly, I'd be like, what, what do you mean? Stay? Like, you're putting me in here, you know what I am. I'm a runner. Like, I'm gonna run all over the place. Like, if you want me to so I <laughs> I sat in his office and I went to him, listen, Gaffer I said, You play me in centre mid, but you're not letting me play as me in centre mid. You want me to play as Mascarano? I said, I'm not Mascarano, like I can't do it you just need to take the shackles off me let me run let me run all over people you know at that point mm. I felt like fitness wise ability wise I was probably you know at, at the peak I was you know physically able to run all over people nobody could match me stamina nobody could match me, me in short bursts or anything I felt like I was you know I was physically dominant at that point and he was shackling me sorry can you hear
5: that yeah it's not I mean not heel... yeah it's this is north London mate <laughs> <laughs> Anything goes. Not Notting Hill. Sorry, you festival there? We're we're about two miles away from Notting Hill. I think he's on his way down now. Uh, sorry, sorry, mate. Uh, what what you saying there about um about? Sorry
2: about he
0: uh? And he put me in centre mid, but shackled the life out of me and was giving me expectations mm. that as a player I couldn't achieve. So it was like yeah. about skating in the defence and. Winning tackles, doing this, doing that. And I was like, well, if you want someone to come and do that, you need to take me off the team because that's not me. I'll run over people. I'll give you loads of energy. I'll, I'll create problems by creating overloads in, in more advanced areas by running in behind the forwards, leaving space for them to pick it up in pockets. I'm not going to protect you back four for you because I haven't got the discipline in my game to go and do that. So mm. if that's what you're after, you need to take me of the equation. She was like, no, no, you know, I love the honesty. I love that chat. I love that. And then he, lo and behold, as soon as Summers was back, he took me of the team put Chrissy Allroyd in, put Bobby Grant back in. You know, we, we both hadn't played a lot of football at that point. Um, mm. Went with three strikers up top. And, you know, I remember playing against Tarragut. Um, and it was, you know, we, we always call it like joeys. If you're the team or mushrooms, you know, you're with the joeys, you with the mushrooms. And I was in the mushroom right. team. We played a full 90. We won 2-1. And I was like, the how's this happen? Like, I've played 39 starts, here. Yeah. Like... Mm. We're fourth in the league, we're four points off top. Like I've been in a team that's been successful and now I can't get a sniff. I'm not gonna play in a playoff, so I was fuming. It's absolutely yeah. raging, to be honest. And then we've obviously played the playoff game. Summers has broke down with his injury. I've come mm-hmm. on, you know. I felt like a there was a little bit of energy, a little bit of a boost. Um felt like we were really unfortunate to lose that game. You know, we had we had the post, that's we had crazy. the bar, we had yeah. the, the loud one disallowed, yeah. one cleared off the line. You know, and then they've scored the wonder goal. Um so it ended in frustration that season and I felt like, you know, we were on the cusp of something. I still felt mm-hmm. like going into that summer that we'd that we'd gone forward, we were on the cusp of making, you know, that promotion happen of achieving what we all wanted to achieve. And then he just started dissecting the squad left, right and centre. And I was like, uh, yeah. what's going on here? Like, you've got rid of Kev Roberts, who's played a full season. And now you've brought in Jazzy Barn and Bob, like, I'm like, yeah. These don't add up. They, you've got Kevy reflects the values of the area, someone who put his body on the line, he you know he tackle his name for you. And now mm. you're bombing in for someone that, that, that doesn't respect like doesn't 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 understand the area, doesn't understand football, thinks it's all about trying to go forward and not tackling and you know, mm. not really putting in the industry the effort. I just thought your recruitment's been miles off. You know, we we lacked a forward that year and he's brought in ten bodies and you know, probably between the ten bodies they probably accumulated.
5: 20 yeah, games, I mean, maybe. did it sort of remind you of a sort of like the Mills scattergun recruitments? Yeah. And, and did, did you know that was that was the, the, the largest budget that Wrexham have had in the last sort of five or six years? Because I think that a lot of the ward money was was used to prop that up. And then you're getting some guys in from Scotland who, I'll be honest, I've never heard of. Yeah, uh, uh, I, yeah I can't even remember what his name was, the, the striker. Leighton McIntosh. Yeah, was it? Right, yeah. Oh. Seemed a nice lad, but... Again, no, he just didn't understand the values of the area.
0: Like, and I was mm-hmm. like, he just brought in a clicker, lads, that just didn't fit Wrexham, just didn't fit our changing room, didn't, just didn't, just didn't fit. Just, uh, it's probably the nicest way of putting it. And, uh, I hate talking poorly of people and, uh, you know, the good lads, the, mm-hmm. the good players, but they didn't fit the area and they just didn't, I, I yeah. don't think they understood so like, you no, know, if, if I'm out the team, I want to know why I'm out the team. I want to get myself back in the team. You know that onus is on me to get back in the team. It's not on. It's not the lads' fault who's playing ahead of me. It's not the the manager's fault. You know, again, I'll probably probably contradict myself with some of the conversations that I have with Brian Hughes, but you know, mm. it's on you as an individual get yourself back in the team. Go and show those values. Go and show why you should be playing. These lads, took it as granted that i have come from here. I should be playing or. You know, he signed me for this purpose and now I'm not playing. But, you know, you're not playing because you're not performing. You're not yeah. producing. It's on you. Go and deliver. And I don't felt like they delivered And You know, I go back to it. He, he got rid of some good lads that summer. Brian used that mm. You know, some of them were maybe the right decision, but some of them were completely wrong decisions, like Kev Roberts. You know, we should never have let him go. Um, you know, even Stuart Bevan, I felt like he probably had a role to play. You know, I know his, his no. age was advancing, you know, but... In terms of that winning mentality, that desire, you know, even if it was for half an hour at that point, it would have been, it would have been better than what we had contributed further on. I just felt like at that stage we needed another winger to come in and, and compliment what I was doing, probably to nudge me off the team, to start sliding me off the pitcher. We needed a striker to to get us those goals that we lacked on the, you know, that we lacked that season, even though we finished fourth, you know, with a, with a good campaign. I felt that's what yeah. we needed. And, you know, he's come in and ripped up the blueprints and tried to go to academy football and, you know, let's split, let's do this, let's get ball-playing defenders in, like Michael Chambers, that, you know, there was a mad stack going around about him that he hadn't won a game in that calendar year. You know, <laughs> it was stuff like that. And I was like, this, this just doesn't reflect what we are. And that's, mm. if, if I'm honest, that's the biggest bitterness of my time at Wrexham because that's where I felt like my, my chance of a promotion has sort of gone now, like... Me as a player, I'm you know, I'm I think I was thirty-two that summer. Yeah, I was thirty two that summer. So, you know, I was obviously very aware of of my advancing years and I was thinking, you know, I've probably got another year at it where I'm, you know, physically peak and you've taken that year away from me. So I was I was bitter to be honest about it. I was like, You've you've destroyed what we had building here and now this is back to square one, back to where we were when I first joined the club. This is this is mm. a shit show, to be ultimately honest. Like, this isn't you know where we should be at. This isn't what we have been at. You know, so it's yeah. frustrating. And you know, a lot of the chats. Where I, you know, I was off the team at that point on the Brian News. I, I couldn't couldn't get a sniff. I'd come on for two minutes here. I'd come on for five minutes there. And then he left me out the squad at uh, Stockport. I know. You know, we ended up having a you know a proper a chat there. I, you know, I said to him, you know, I I don't understand your reasons. I don't know why I'm off the team. You know, ultimately. The team is nineteenth at the minute, I think we were. So we're nineteenth mm. now. The last time I played regularly in this team, we were fourth No, I haven't changed as a player. So how am I not good enough for the team that's nineteenth, but I was for a team that was fourth So I, I, I don't get I don't get your logic on this. I don't get where you're going because it's not like so you know, I'm the first to hold my hands up. If someone comes in and doing better than me and, or they've got a chance to go and do better than me, then I'll hold my hands up. You know, I'm I'm here to you know, I'll have my role to play, and if you can go on and have a great career and you can drive this football club forward, then that's better for both of us. But that wasn't what I felt was happening under Brian Hughes, and it was frustrating, you know. And and I think a lot of the stuff that he did then probably cost him his job ultimately. And as I say, as an individual and as a group of players at Wrexham at that point, it, it cost us, you know, a lot of momentum and a lot of ground that we that we made under Keats and under
5: Ricketts. Yeah. And then obviously Keats came in to do another rebuilding job. Now, as you can imagine, a lot of Wrexham fans weren't happy to have him back. They thought he'd sold him down the river a little bit. I mean, I personally, I was glad because I, I thought that team needed sorting out. And from what I'd seen from Dean's first spell, I thought he would be the man to sort that team out. Now, he took a lot of stick over the next sort of 12 months for a style of play. Do you think any of it was warranted? I think it comes with the territory, you know.
0: Obviously, it's you know it's in the spotlight now. I think you know I, I've seen an interview from Dean Keats towards the back end of his time at Wrexham, where you know some of the insults and you know some of the things that were said to him were not warranted. And I get, I fully understand mm-hmm. that's a that's a real minority of people. That's not the majority at all. It's a it's a real, real minority. So I don't feel like some elements of it were warranted, but I, I completely understand why the fans felt the way they did on Mass. I feel like you know he probably felt let down. He felt you know probably betrayed initially that's so mm. why he left the first time um you know well you know in terms of him coming back you know i can understand and you know we, we sort of feel that disconnect that the fans weren't fully on board with with his return you know we felt that certainly from you know as All i right. say, the ground that he made in his first belt to, to bring that connection with the fans and the players
5: So what we do is every week, we do have like a part of the uh, podcast called uh, Feel This in Devotion Moment. So it's, it's the moment of your Wrexham career that filled you full of the most passion. Can you yeah. sort of think of one, can you yeah. sort of think of one, one moment that, that made you start, that summed up or what it was, what it was like to be, a, to be a Wrexham player or one moment that you know, sort of really filled you with, with joy? It was probably two
0: moments that, that made me feel like a like this is proper. This, this is a different level to what I've what mm. I've been used to. The first was the game turned out to be flat as anything, to be honest. But I remember that the first home game against Chester. You know, there was yeah. there was bad pipes, there was all sorts going on outside. And I was like, wow, this like this is goosebumps. This this is this is a different level. Like this is this is incredible. Like I, I it, it just blew me away. I was coming out and I was like, like I said, goosebumps that, you know, the hair on the arms was, was standing up. It was like, wow, this is unbelievable. Like, this is, this is mm. what it means for these people. And noise when we stepped out, it was, it was feverish. It was like, oh my God, this is, this is Premier League. This is, this mm. is, like I'm a proper footballer here. Like, and that's what, one of the things that I thank Dean Keats for when, you know, obviously when the dust had settled and, you know, everything had played out with last season, um, one of the things that I thanked them for was giving me a, a Wrexham team that that truly represented what I thought it would represent. You know, he gave me a team that I could be proud of playing, that my family could be proud of watching me play and giving me an environment, a support base that, that my family could say, you know what, I've watched, you know, for my dad, my mum, I've watched my son playing that, you know, for my kids to be like, wow, my dad's played here. You know, my wife mm. to be like, you know, my husband's played here. You know, that was... That was the pride that it gave me. And that's it, was was like, occasions like that Chester own game. And then, you know, the second one was probably the Chester away game, you know, winning that game and, you know, how the fans drove us in enemy territory. Like they were right behind us, they, they gave us everything. You know, I've ended up jumping in with the fans at the end of the game. Yeah. Just, just emotion takes over. And, you know, it was brilliant. And, you know, that, that Tramier away game where we won 1 0 with 10 men for 85. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The fan they were incredible, they were banging the drums, they were making so much noise. You know, people talk about an extra man, and that day they gave us that extra bit. It was made no mistake going to you with 10 men. You know, it's a, it's a difficult, difficult ask for us. You know, they were arguably the team with the biggest budgets in the league at that point. It was a difficult away day. You know, they're a good side, they gave us that extra bit of energy, that extra bit of belief, that extra graft. that just that extra extra passion that extra care to be like this means more than just three points this is this is like people's you know people can go to work and have bragging rights here people can you know I can go to I can go about my life and have bragging rights here. I can tell people "By mine yeah we beat you here, yeah. You know, yeah you know I'm obviously from the Whittle so yeah, it's yeah. brilliant. It brilliant just to be like we beat you and it was probably them three moments where I was like this is this is Rexham this is this is proper life
5: Let's sort of move on to the takeover now. I mean, I, I still can't believe it. I'm still gobsmacked.
3: Yeah,
5: hard, yeah, yeah, totally. Like I remember where I was. I was on holiday in Tenby. and like it just came on Twitter that Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney, two two two, you know, two people I knew quite knew of quite yeah. well, yeah. wanted to buy Wrexham. I couldn't get my head around it. How did the players feel about that? When did you find out?
0: Well, at first we all thought it was Russell
5: Crowe. <laughs> so we yeah, I thought he was team. Russell Crowe as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that's, yeah. What, that's who the players thought. Yeah, so we, we'd like we'd obviously seen that there was there was
0: the link with an ancestor of Wrexham. So we thought, yeah. and he here. Like, is this Russell Crowe? And we were like, you know, like Gladiators coming in to buy the club. What's going on here? And mm. then it, it broke to us when we were playing a friendly with Kevin Stewart. So we right. were on the pitch doing a warm up, and it went round like Brian Reynolds is buying a football club, and was like, wow. Ryan Reynolds, like, this is ridiculous. Nah, that's not, he's not buying a football club. It, it won't, no, we, we couldn't believe it. Like, it, it's, it's just unheard of, isn't it? Like, you know, a, mm. a, a full Hollywood A-lister, you know, and, and that's not to to take anything away from, you know, Rob McElhenney either. You know, he's had a tremendous career in acting himself. You know, he's he isn't as known as, as Ryan Reynolds, obviously, you know, but mm. two Hollywood, you know, A-listers that are wanting to buy your football club. It's like, what, what's going on here? Like, this is...
5: Yeah,
2: yeah.
0: get your rather it. it was you know the moment that we heard about that it was like the game's going to change you. like this is this is you know exciting times for the football club now
5: yeah I mean did, you, you didn't get to speak to them at all did you at, at the time there was there any sort of messages between them and the players
0: no there was there was no direct contact or anything I think um, he maybe looked at doing it and probably felt that it was you know they didn't want to intrude on the football side of things at that point um, hmm. I don't there was talk that it might have happened at one point and then it didn't. Um, but, you know, it, it's one of them. It's, you know, at that moment, they're probably looking at the bigger picture. They're looking at the infrastructure of the football club, how they're going to grow it to to give it sustainability, yeah. how they're going to take it in, you know, the direction that they want to ultimately take it in and, you know, and lead it to, you know, if I, if I speak about the takeover, you know, at the time. So from my point of view, I was very, very aware of what it meant for me as a player, to be honest. I thought, right. you know, this, this takes it in a direction that, that I can't sustain at my age. Like, I won't be able to be a, you know, a, a playing part of this direction, you know. Whether that sounds defeatist or not, I don't know. You know, whether that mindset's helped me in terms of my performances going forward, possibly not. But in terms of, you know, my mindset in, in accepting a situation and, and being grateful about the situation, it, you know, it has helped me because, you know, I think you'd have to put your own your own situation to the door when something like that comes calling, you know. Ultimately... You know, there's better players available than me now for Exum. You know, I'm mm. 30 years of age. You can go and sign better lads than what I can give you. In terms mm. of you know, football and performance abilities, you know, in terms of standards, and I would train, I would conduct myself, I would lead my life, then, you know, I, I lead it very well. And, you know, I set very good standards. I'm there, you know, always helping the younger lads. You know, whenever Jarves was playing ahead of me in the 10, I'd be like, Jarves, go and do your stuff. You know, play with risk, go and make things happen, get on the ball, do this, do that. Like, go and express yourself, bring it. So, I was again, I was never... Never a bad egg, you know, and, and that was probably my strongest characteristic at that point, encouraging the lads. You know, at one point when I'd be lining up in a shape with Rhys johnson at right back, I'd be like, you go and destroy this. You go and, you go and impose your game on them. I'd always encourage, I'd always be, you know, driving mm. their standards, helping them, you know, probably giving them that little bit of a confidence boost. You know, sometimes when you hear it just from a manager or you're it from your family, you know, you sort of take it with a pinch of salt. So I always felt, you know, if I can give them a little bit of a confidence boost from a colleague then you yeah. know, carry that little bit more ground and you know so from my angle I that's the role that I probably took on at that point and thought you know this is what I need to do to to help the team to help the lads to mm. help the club you know to try and get us to where we need to be um the takeover over was it was a little bit of an uncertainty for us as an individual but as I say you know you look at the big picture and what that takeover will do for the football club is is, is monumental like it's it's something that, you know, when Gary Mills took me down Collier's and then he lost the Collier's training ground and I was training at Lex Lowland Club. You know, yeah. It's something that you'd, you'd, you'd never anticipate happening, you know, in your, in your wildest day dreams, you'd never think it could happen. And, you know, it's something that'll be, you know, amazing for the club going forward. It's something that'll, you know, hopefully lead to success on the pitch and certainly sustainability off the pitch. And, you know, I feel that once that partnership fully marries up, it'll it'll boom, it'll blow up the football club and you know, I just hope I've you know expressed it on, you know, when I spoke <laughs> to Rich with the leader, I, yeah. you, know, I you know, I really hope the, the community plays a big part in that because that's what's so unique and so special about the football club is the fan base, is the community. And you know, if they those guys incorporate those ideas with their you know, with their media savviness, with the you know, with the exposure that they'll be able to promote already with TikTok and stuff. If they can incorporate the community within that, then it's a match made in heaven. and you know it it'll hopefully take the football side of things to, you know, to the the, the levels that it deserves to be at. I'm
4: wondering what it was like for the team when the um when the documentary crew came into the dressing room, how it was like for that for a non-league club.
0: But it was it was weird to be honest. It's surreal because you're thinking like I'm I'm nobody. Like I'm just, just poor from from by man Like the like who wants to really watch me do anything? I, and it's bizarre because you think at this level, like, like it's it's mad. That you don't understand, like why why it's it's it was just surreal. And then at first you're you're a little bit hesitant. You're like, Oh, how's this going to be portrayed? How am I gonna come across here? Like, you know, are these gonna hang me out to dry? Is it gonna come across terrible? And uh you know, are these testing me? Is it a quiz? But then, you know, John the producer was was brilliant, you know, he he'd settle yeah. I'm still in touch with John now. You know, he he wants to, you know, continue, you know, the next part of my journey. You know, he wants to see how we transition out to football and stuff. And, you know, he's someone uh, whose advice, you know, I listen to. He's, you know, he's a good man. He he really integrated himself within the group. You know, he he became a member of the squad, to be honest, a member of the staff, you know. And after, you know, maybe a week or so, it's just second nature. You forget the cameras are there. And, you know, it's just back to business. It's, you know, very little of it is face-to-face interviews, I think. think maybe in the eight months so yeah so maybe in the 10 months that it's been I've had two interviews one was maybe six weeks into the process and then the other one was probably two weeks after after the last game of the season where he was just you know obviously you know touching base to see what I was going to do next seeing what what had happened you know since the last game and so on how my spirits were um and you know it's something that he wants to continue throughout the season so it's it you know it's it, it you just forget that they're there you forget that they're there in the end and it's you know they they're very good at their job so they integrate with into the environment and you know it's something that I started to see as a big positive you know even if I get two minutes five minutes of screen time on that that's something you know probably probably not after the last game you know because I was a little bit emotional after the last game and stuff but you know the rest of that that's legacy for for my kids to so have a look at to see you know what the dad was about to see you know, the values that I held, and how I went about my business and
4: stuff. I hate to uh, touch on it, but you just brought it up. That last nah, game, we have to, yeah. In what that last game? What was what was that like for you? What was going through your head sort of before you came on the pitch with how important um, that match was? Was that f- sort of foremost at your mind?
0: Yeah, it, it was quite a. Um, it was quite an. It was quite an unsettled period of the time at the club. You know, we, we were hearing whispers of a few things. You know, it was. It was turbulent. Um, I probably got sucked into the emotion of that a little bit. Um, you know, we we understood the you know the gravity of the situation in terms of you know we need to hit the playoffs firstly because that's the standards of the football club. That's the ambition of our season was to ultimately get promoted. You know, that was our opportunity to get promoted at that point by hitting the playoffs. You know, I wanted to make as big an impact as I possibly could. So you know, I wanted to go out there, leave everything out there. You know. Make sure that, you know, I brought my energy, my tenacity, my hunger, my desire. Um, you know, but going to that incident, you know, I've the lads took a touch on the box. I've read his touch, I've stepped it, and I've just seen a centre-back coming and thought, you know, he's going to go in full throttle. I need to go in full throttle. I need to win the challenge. You know, I can't be pulling out of a tackle here. We need a goal. You know, we've just got a goal down. We need a goal here. We need to get back in this game We need to win it. And, um, you know, I, I've ended up just missed in the tackle. I've touched the top of the ball, and it's gone higher than, you know, with a light, you know it looks worse than, than it was when I watched it back because it looks like I've just completely missed the ball and gone over it, but I've actually touched the top of the ball so it's fractions in it where I've touched, you know, if I touch the centre of the ball there, I just go through the ball and, you know, I don't make contact with the lad, but then I've touched the top of the ball, ended up taking his knee off, again, going through his shim with my other leg and, you know, I was appealing at the time, but it was, you know, rightly a red card. And then, you know, I get into the changing rooms, you know, you your, your will implodes, to be honest. You just feel like you've left you know, yourself down, you've let your family down, you've let the manager down, you've let the lads down, you've let the fan base down. You feel like, you know, you've let everyone down. You, it, it, To be really, really honest with you, you feel like a piece of shit. Like, you know, you've, you've let everyone down. So it, it's horrible. So, you know, I had the the frustration, the anger, the, you know, the the emotion of it, you know. And I, I haven't really, you know, I don't really cry in my life. I never cried when the kids were born. I never cried when I got married, but, you know, and I hate saying it, to be honest, because I'm quite, you know, one of those people. But, you know, I was upset in the change room. You know, and it, it was testament to the lads and the manager, to be honest. You know, they've come in, they've obviously ground out a draw. You know, disappointingly for us, it wasn't enough. Um, You know, I was aware that it was probably, you know, going to be my last game, the manager's last game. Um, You know, it, it, I was devastated. You know, I felt like I let Dean down, you know. I've I've got a lot of respect for Dean as a person. I think he's a great manager. I think he's a great person. You know, he'd always look after you as a person, and anything he could do to help you, he would do to help you. I've got a lot of respect for people like that. And again, you know, I touched on it with Sean. He's honest. He tells you down the line where things are at. There's no beating around the bush. It's just honest, and you'd always respect that in somebody. Um. So you know, he picked me spirits up. He's like, listen, you've been incredible for me. You know, we first spell. You've been brilliant for me. Me second spell in terms of how you've conducted yourself, how you've gone about your business. You've not let me down you know, the lads who had, you know, had shared a lot of time with at that point, you know, Sean Pearson, Carrick, Jay Harris, all brilliant it with me, you know, consoling me, making sure I was all right, making sure, you know, I knew it wasn't, you know, independently my fault. Nobody said it's a, you know, it's a 46, well, 40, 42 game season that season, you know, it's not just that one moment that, that defined the season, you know, there was lots of factors that went into it. So keep your chin up, you know, it's not on you, get going again and you know, the lads were, were brilliant with me, even down to, you know, the younger lads, Reese, Jarves, um, you know, Theo, Kells, you know, great lads that Laino, to pick me spirits up that day. And, you know, lads that I'll stay in touch with and, you know, I wish them all the best in the journeys going forward.
4: I know, and I think Andy said it at the time, but I think you could just see the enthusiasm, but also you realise the gravity of what that match meant. And perhaps that's just played a part in it but um in, talking about dean keats um so were you aware then going into that game that he was on his way out we
0: weren't fully aware it wasn't confirmed or anything that you know football doesn't really work like that it's not in terms of always going if this happened like it wasn't like that but you know when you've been around the block in the game and you know you you, you sort of see things a little differently and whether that's just me as an individual. You know, I, I, I like to think that my perception is quite good. You know, I, I can perceive things quite well. I can, you know, I can, I can read situations quite well and, you know, I'm quite a good judge of character. You know, you sort of see how things are playing out and, you know, and on Art, I probably felt like if we ultimately didn't, you know, with the playoffs or get promoted, then, you know, the club is probably looking in a different direction.
4: Do you think there's an er- sort of inevitability about that when New owners come in, or do you think Dean was slightly hard done by?
0: I think it's a difficult one. Um, I'm not one to say that the people are hard done by. You know, Dean for me is a you know he's a tremendous manager. I think he's a great. Like I say, he's a great manager. He's a great man. You know, can he improve as a coach as a manager? Yeah, he'd say the same. He'd always look to improve. You know, any time that you don't look to improve, you you're done. You you're finished. So he'll always look to improve and, you know, I think he'll be disappointed that he never got the the full opportunity to take the club forward with the resource that it has now. I think he'll feel, you know, that he'd have done a good job with that, with with that resource, with that opportunity. And I firmly believe that he would have. But ultimately, you know, football moves on very fast. You know, I read a quote from Carrie, you know, you assume yesterday's chip paper, chip shop paper. And, you know, there's it, never a true word said, you know. Dean's legacy at Wrexham is his legacy, both as a player, as a manager. Mine, Kat is, you know, even Sean Pearson's. Our legacy is our legacy. You know, our chapter's closed. And from my angle, it's over to Phil Parkinson. Now it's over to the new lads. It's over to the, the lads that I've shared the dressing room with. And for me, I hope them all the best. I wish them all the best. I want them to go and achieve that success that the fan base deserves. I want them to go and, to go and get that football club in the football league. You know, that's where it belongs. That's where it deserves to be. Would I be disappointed that I never achieved that? Possibly I'll be, you know, a little bit of me be like, I wonder what that would have felt like. But ultimately it wasn't to be for me. We fell short and there's not one bit of bitterness in me or cynicism in me. I, I want that that football club in the football league. I want it to go and achieve the things that it wants to achieve. You know, to be no prouder person on the Whittlesea hit me than me if that football club goes and achieves that. And that's something, uh, you know, I'd love to see. You know, I, I, I think Dean Keats could have done it. Yeah, maybe he could have, but that wasn't what, you know, that, that isn't the path that the club's taken. And, you know, hopefully Phil Parkinson goes and does it now.
3: Time now for some quick fire questions for Paul. Who is the most skillful? Most skillful. Oh, and
0: um, Jordan Maguire, do you yeah oh yeah yeah I can see that I'm doing jobs at this service here Dan Jarvis his little mm. chop roll unbelievable yeah. unbelievable yeah. I actually taught me little at the chop roll to be fair so Dan Jarvis have
5: <laughs> changed it okay good, good 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 to hear he's still with us who was the worst dressed Sean Pearson right okay oh, he's come up before
0: horrendous absolutely horrendous but to the point where you feel bad saying Sean Pearson because beard is that bad and he's that unashamed by it that it's it's pointless saying it.
5: Who's the most underrated player? Myself. <laughs> Actually, um, you were a big call for the next question. So, who's the biggest moner? And it's been it's been Paul Leslie Rutherford a few times on this. As he, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. To be fair, I am like a, a few. I do moan because I, I, I'm big on standards. I'm big on wanting to win. Like, I want to win, Like whether I'm playing Monopoly with the kids, whether I'm playing FIFA with the kids, or mm. anything I want to win. So, I, I'm, I moan when I don't win. And yeah, like, I don't know how I've come across to the fans at times, whether I was a moaner or whatever, but I, I'm a little bit of a narc and a little bit of a moaner.
5: And yeah, I I'll probably have to take that on the chin, to be honest. I think he will also come up in the next question. No, which? Who <laughs> was the tightest with money? Now, hey, to be fair,
0: I was one of the lowest earners, so I needed to be taking money. <laughs> no, it, nah, to be fair, to team. Um, yeah, you have to, you have to make your money work for you. But Sean, want <laughs> I swear to God, he could feel an orange in his pocket too. <laughs>
5: <laughs> There's one other question. A Rexman insider has come to come to me with this. Apparently, you were known for having the worst farts at the club. Can you confirm or deny this? Who's saying this? Yeah. I, I I cannot, ref- I'm a journalist and I cannot reveal my sources. <laughs>
4: I did ask him yeah, before.
5: <laughs> it's protein in
0: it, it's good lifestyle, it's good living. Because, yeah, can Clean clear living. A, I can clear the room.
3: <laughs> in this final part of the interview, Paul tells us about what the future holds for him.
0: Well, at the moment we've just created our own coaching company, me and my friend Scott Brown, so um, we're, we're developing our own coaching company, suit um, Touch Football, I might as well plug it while I'm here, so um, we're looking at getting that off the ground, getting that going, um, you know, that's something that we're really excited by, so it's allowing me to, you know, as well as to pursue me playing and, and enjoy, you know, the playing aspect of it, it's allowing me time to go and cultivate other things, uh, to, you know, bring a little bit more security and sustainability to my family life, and you know, allow me to, like I say, to pursue other ventures, you know, it's give me opportunities in terms of, you know, I'll be able to go into a youth team, maybe, you know, see how big an involvement it can have there around, you know, getting an age group or, you know, whether it's just coming in for a session a week, you know, improving myself as a coach you know, passing on my values as a person to the lads, you know, my expertise to the, to the kids there.
4: And something that struck me throughout this um, interview is that you've got a strong sort of concept of, you know, what makes a Wrexham player in terms of that working class background and, and how you act as a player. What what do you think it takes to be, you know, a decent Wrexham player?
0: I just think you have to reflect the area, I think. So if you look at at the players throughout the years, so certainly... Probably even before my time. So I look at the squad, they got 99 points. There was never any magicians. There was never any, you know, full-on, you know, people that, that didn't match the industry with, with their talents. I think first and foremost, you need to you need to show the people that you value them, that you, that you value that that chair that you're representing. I feel like, you know, the easiest way to do that is to, uh, to bring what you are, to bring maximum of what you are. So the least you can ever do is chase that lost ball. Is to put your body on the line when it needs to be on the line is to go and do those hard yards. You know, fitness wise, I am a fit player, but I'm not night and day comparatively fitter than everyone else. You know, my split to be within 20 seconds of people, 30 seconds for the kilometer. It's not, it's not night and day. It's can you roll your sleeves up in them red zones when you're hurting? Can you roll your sleeves up and put that little chase in? Can you go and Hold that ball up in the corner for me, you know, in terms of if you're a winger, you know, if you're a striker, can you be big enough to have that responsibility to, you know what, I'm the man of you. I'm going to put that ball in the net. If you're that wide player, you know, or if you're Dan Jarvis, you know what, give me the responsibility, give me that ball, let me get on that ball, like I'm, I'm not one who's going to put a big tackle in, but give me the ball and I'll go and set up five chances in this game. Give me that ball, give me that responsibility, someone who wants to take that responsibility, someone who wants to to reflect the values of the people to show how much it means to them as an individual to represent that club you know be it a dribbling effort tackling heading finishing bring what you are bring the maximum of what you are
5: right I've got one last question for Paul for the, for the, for the, um, for the pod anyway Wrexham or Chester Wrexham good answer the so so right answer
0: you know, if I, to be honest, like it's not even from a, oh I'll get brownie points answer. Like it was just a better experience for me as a player, as a person, for my family. You know, I think it's a bigger club to be to be really honest. When you look at it just logically, like the fan base tells you, that it's a bigger club. How it means to the people, the passion, the desire. You know, the one thing that I always said about the Wrexham fans was passion. There's passion. I'd rather play in front of a passionate crowd than a passive crowd. And some people couldn't handle that passion. Some people couldn't. You know, they wilt under the pressure of it. But that passion is everything. Like, that passion is, is what's going to propel the club forward. That passion is why the owners have come in and wanted to buy the football club. That passion is everything. And, you know, to to be able to have represented that passion for, for five seasons is is incredible. And, you know, your, your podcast says it all feels in devotion. People are devoted to that football club. Like, people people live the football club. It's it's It means everything to those people. And, you know, and, and that's why the club is bigger than... The bulk of clubs, so you know, we say Wrexham or Chester. You know, it is bigger than Chester, but it's also bigger than a lot of clubs in League One. It's bigger than, you know, some of the clubs in the Championship, and you know, you could probably stake a claim that it's bigger than Brentford, for example. It's bigger than, you know, if Wrexham gets to those levels, I'd guarantee that they'd fill a, you know, a thirty thousand seater stadium, you know, they'd fill it. So, you know, it's a massive football club, and and that's why it's it's a bigger club than than the bulk of clubs, not only Chester.
5: I think just sort of coming back to to you. I mean, after after the red card against Dagenham, I didn't see any sort of social media meltdown ab- about you about what happened. You know, there was nothing on on like the message boards. I think it's just sort of that's a sort of testament to you and what you brought to that club for five years. You know, I think we all respected everything that you've done and the energy that you've shown during the time and you know the passion that you've shown. Not only not only. You know, not only on the pitch, but also in this podcast, it shows how much, you know, you, you, really, you really got the club. And, you know, we'd just like to thank you for your, for your spell there.
0: No, I, I really appreciate that. And that's what I always got from the fans. So whether, no, I'm, I'm very realistic as a person, like some weeks you're flavouring them on, some weeks you're not fit to burn. Again, passion, passion is anything. Passion can be love, it can be hate, it can be whatever for those fans and the vibe that I always got was that they were behind me they wanted me to do my best they always gave me enthusiasm they always you know they always responded to me energy they always gave me encouragement and that's what I'll always take away from the club and you know the fact that they didn't go into meltdown either tells me that they were glad I was off the pitch or that they do respect me as a person you know what I mean so <laughs> it's, it's nice to hear yeah. Um, it's yeah and it, it is a spell in my career that I'll always hold in a you know in the fun regard, you know, you probably hear it quite often. You know, if I'm if I'm ultra ultra honest with you, like I've probably been a little bit too honest at times, yeah. Um, you know, I I don't really follow Southport results, Barrow results, Chester's results. I, I don't follow them, but I'll always follow Wrexham's results because, you know, it's it's a it's a club that I had an affinity to. Where my kids have seen me play. You know, my oldest lad who who understands football understands the environment to see me play. He'll always show treat me with that football club and. You know it, it's something that I will continue and I'll, I'll always follow the results and I'll always look to, to get back whenever I can. And as I say, you know, I'm excited to try and you know see what we can create with Dan Nolan in the youth angle. And you know, Peter, the club's already asked me to, to you know come and be an ambassador for the game. You know, you guys have asked me on the podcast anytime you know the want me on a podcast to, to talk some shite. I, you know, I don't <laughs> to be up for it it's something that you know I find easy to talk about and it's something that I'll always follow. And as I say, as disappointed as I am that I never achieved a promotion and that my journey ends at Wrexham, you know, there's no bitterness and, you know, it's a complete respect and understanding that, you know, I hope the club goes and operates in, you know, League 2 next year and League 1 and the champ and, you know, in our wildest teams, going to get to the Premier League, you know, with the ownership, with the infrastructure that they may be able to provide? Hopefully one day it can, because as I say, Brentford, in my opinion, is a smaller club and they've made it happen. So, you know, yeah. although there's tiny steps need to be made the big big picture is this football club can go global with, with the owners and you know the network that they have the resource they have the infrastructure they have you can. Know, and certainly when you couple that with with the fan base and the passion that they have that anything's possible absolutely anything and you know I, I don't want to put pressure on the new manager or the squad you know they may not get promotion this year we don't know you know it's a tough league to get out of that conference but I genuinely feel that once they get promoted into League 2 they'll bounce to League 1 and it'll it'll boom from there. That's that's my genuine belief. It's just getting out of that confidence, getting that monkey off the back and, and and kicking on there.
3: Last but not least, it's time for Shitey Heroes. Liam, who have we got on the side so far? We have got Xavi Valero, the very capable flappy hands
4: in goal and also Christian Guyan at right back so far. But we need to bolster up our defence a bit more, I think.
3: Mm, yeah, so centre-backs now. The first batch of centre-backs now. Uh, Andy, you can go first because you're hungover. You want to get out of the way?
5: Whoa, you could, don't tell my mum that.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Andy, you can have 60 seconds because that's how long your articles are to read. Three, two, one, Go he's my pick not because he was a bad
5: player although he was a bad player it's because he finally dashed my hopes in a few things rex needed the center half fiel file junior and teme came from nowhere well free san rafael actually and it seems to fit the bill we've, we we've had a good Pedigree of bringing in foreign players and then becoming cult heroes, Carlos, Big Dan, even Hector Sam and Emad. But when Dean Saunders' Dalliance with Champion Manager 2002 2003 database had eroded a lot of that, and we needed a foreign hit. Boss at the time, Andrew Morel, was also desperate for one of his signs to really work. A few had missed a mark. I hope antenna could be the answer to both problems. You know, quick six foot two Cameroonian, looked like the assets to succeed, played in the French first division for the delightfully named Brest. But if Junior was the answer, everyone was asking the wrong question. He scored on his home debut, but then disappeared. He wasn't really injured. He was just shit.
3: Ah, it's a nice way to end. And on time, Andy. Good grief with a couple of seconds to spare. Well done, mate. Um, Shall we go uh, age-wise, oldest to youngest? So is that Tim next? Sorry, Andy. Or Tim, are you oldest? Probably oldest. Should we, yeah, let's just not talk about it. Sorry, I think I shouldn't have it up, should I, really? Uh, Tim, you can go next anyway. Um, so you've got 60 seconds. Three, two, one, go. Right, I've gone with Darren
2: Kempson. He joined freshly relegated Wrexham in 2008 on a two year deal after being deemed surfaced to requirements at Shrewsbury. There's the big giveaway. We don't like Shrewsbury players. He we was signed by Brian Little, barely figured for the club. And when Dean Saunders succeeded the sack, sack Little, he was even carted out on loan to Forest Green Rovers. He looked the part, but he was just cumbersome, languid, disheartened. He just didn't quite cut it. He had two left feet as well, which didn't help. To his credit, he agreed um, terms to cancel his remaining 12 months of his contract, and he left having made just 15
3: appearances. Looked the part, but ultimately, he was just gash. Also well surmised. Um, That was Tim's case. Liam, you're up next, mate. I can see you typing away frantically there. (laughs) You're trying to say this is scripted again. Only Andy does that. That was a return of the old uh, internet connection. Oh, an update for our listeners is that Liam is getting a new broadband package. So um, (laughs) we're all we're all terribly excited and hope that it means for courtesy
5: free serve.
3: (laughs) Brighter days ahead for Fearless and Devotion.
5: Can you can you play a hallelujah -er 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 jingle in that? in that I, moment
3: I, I will when it happens yeah when it happens absolutely I'm not doing it now <laughs> okay. I'm, not tem- I'm not tempting fate in that way I'm not playing uh, playing God okay Liam you've got 60 seconds to make the case for your centre-back Three, two, one, go
4: okay so in 2019 Brian Yoza-Hughes was given a healthy war chest to spend in the summer transfer window so when he was assembling the heart of his defence did he go for a off like Sean Pearson or a beast like Mark Crichton No, he went for Michael Chambers from Chelmsford. On the face of it, he didn't look like the world's worst signing, but actually, he wasn't that far off. He was even given a crap song to match it by the tech end, which went, Michael Chambers, Michael Chambers, he drinks the Jaeger, he drinks the vodka, his head's fucking massive. To cap things off, he scored a shocking own goal against Chesterfield following Hughes' departure to throw us into the relegation zone. And um, he also... Triggered a classic quote from Dean Qu- Keats, which was, An own goal is an own goal. Um, so he left us after playing just 15 games in the January window. And it's safe to say it was one of the most forgettable centre back signings we've ever made.
3: Nicely done. Okay, me up next. I'll count myself in. I'll get on with it. Uh, three, two, one, go. Now, I appreciate this might be controversial. Strictly speaking, he's obviously not the worst centre-back we've had at the club. But I refer you back to when we introduced this segment. It's the whole package involved here and the size he was. He should have been better. Steve Evans. Like Anthony Williams, a goalkeeper, I've gone for a player who was with us during that god-awful period in the late noughties. And I brought this up on the podcast before, but one that moment stands out for me, FAW trophy away in Llanelli, relegation season couldn't buy a win at the time. We needed confidence and we needed to get a win. Chrissie Llewellyn puts us in front. Then Steve Evans forgets he's not playing rugby and grabs Rhys Griffiths by the ankle in the box in the 88th minute. He's sent off. He scored the penalty and he score a winner a few minutes later. He was a liability discipline-wise, receiving a five-match ban for being sent off three times in the league that season. And after he left, he was sacked by TNS for gross misconduct after being hauled before magistrates for a public order offence. For me, a player who had a bit of ability to be a solid centre-back, an international, but he turned out to be a bit of a liability, in my view. Sorry about that. Lucky you live so far away, isn't it?
5: That's, <laughs> That's going to say.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Brutal. That's a strong field, to be fair. That's uh, probably one of the strongest ones. That's, um, I completely forgot about Michael Chambers.
4: <laughs> <laughs> that song was dreadful. <laughs> it was awful. Um, yeah,
5: me.
3: Wow, okay.
5: Look, I would say I think we need we need some, some homegrown talent in this team. So <laughs> I'll, I'd probably rule out junior straight away uh, otherwise it's too cosmopolitan and that whole team looks very
4: xenophobic <laughs> <laughs> it's a fair sham
3: okay. it was dreadful though throwing in the towel straight away i like that <laughs> um so we're down to steve we Evans. can't have a whale we can't have
4: a wales international
3: but that's part of it isn't it i mean john toshack rated him highly and yet He's part of one of the worst defences in the whole of the football league system at centre-back. He's getting sent off left, right and centre. Yeah, yeah. had a clean sheet against Lichtenstein. I looked it up.
4: Can I, can I just speak in his favour, though, for his, for his off-field antics as well? Because he had a bit of a reputation back in the day. But he bumped into me once in, in Liquid Nightclub. Clearly for oh God, he's a bit of a big fella and said sorry to me, so... You know, he he knows when he's beaten. He knows when he's beaten by a bigger man, so...
3: Fine, I'll give
5: you that. But other than that, I'm not sure. (laughs) Oh, it's got to be Kenson. Kenson was awful. Uh, Steve Evans, as you say, he played for Wales. Chambers was always a gamble. But Kenson wasn't. Kenson was a a sure thing. You know, he should have worked out. It's exactly what we needed at that time. A big bleaser for for, for non-league. and that was the most disappointing one. The rest you can probably get. You know, you know that James Junior is probably not going to make it. You know, you've got a good idea that Michael Chambers would be would be a huge gamble. But, you know, Kempson wasn't. He was a fire.
4: He was also pretty nasty whenever he came back, if I remember rightly. He used to rile the fans up something rotten.
5: Yeah, yeah.
2: I, I don't, it's weird, isn't it? Because when he was at Shrewsbury, they, they found him out on loan to Accrington. And Accrington didn't take up the option to take him on either. So... You know, if that doesn't come with some sort of warning, then that is his parent club and an unknown club don't want him. And then we give him a two-year deal. It's just madness. But he, he was the he was the last of uh, Brian Little's signings to leave the club. Um, yeah, so he only saved half, half of his contract, thankfully. Um, he ended up at Alfreton, didn't he, I think?
3: Yeah, the thing with Kempson, I'd say, Chambers... I was the same as Tim. I'd literally (laughs) forgotten about him. So he's quite a forgettable (laughs) signing, whereas I wouldn't say Kempson is forgettable because he was that bad. Yeah, let's go for Kempson. Okay, Darren Kempson, you're in. Uh, We'll be picking our second centre-back of the side next week. I've got a feeling uh, we might know who some of the nominees are for that. But please do uh, email us in or tweet us anyway and let us know who you think should be On that list, Uh, fearlessindevotion at gmail.com is the email address. Got a couple of great guests lined up for you, including another very recent player who's left the club. Please do uh, subscribe and download the podcast to hear more from that next Monday. But from all of us, that's all. Goodbye. Cheers, everyone.